0: I have today a message that I want to call It's a Great Day to Be Alive. It's a great day to be alive. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, and to the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It's a great day to be alive. The words of our text here in Acts chapter 1 were written by a medical doctor in the first century. He was not Jewish Uh, He was Greek by nationality. We don't know exactly when he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Although we do know that it was after Jesus had concluded his ministry here on the earth. So even though Dr. Luke, the beloved physician as he was called, never met Jesus in the flesh. He obviously believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus It would be wonderful to learn how this physician was influenced to become a believer. Certainly the miraculous healing ministry of the apostles would have gotten his attention. He would, in fact, later write in this same book in Acts chapter 5, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. They were all healed. You know that would get a doctor's attention. There's not a hospital in this country that wouldn't take that ratio right now. That every patient that walked in their door on any given day could walk out healed I don't know if it was that or if it was just the preaching of the gospel we don't we don't know exactly how that Luke became a believer but he obviously did his writing of course is of a very scholarly nature it is one of the most scholarly books in the new testament it's addressed to an unknown man named Theophilus his name is Roman that's all we know And the fact that he wasn't given any other introduction tells us that he was probably a prominent citizen, well known. So that the other readers who might have read uh, Luke's work in the first century, uh, they would have immediately known who it was. Some have speculated that uh, this was designed to be a a letter. And Theophilus, as a, a very wealthy person, very prominent person, might have intended then that it spread around the city of Rome. After all, Rome was wash in the teachings about a man they call Christus. Christus. Uh, that would have been in Roman spelling of Christ. They might have been curious about his story. And Luke was quick to oblige. I mention all this because Dr. Luke's declarative introductory statement that Jesus showed himself alive by many and infallible proofs. After his passion, after his suffering, after his death on the cross and burial, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Think about a physician who considers the evidence, has to render then a diagnosis. How many doctors would say my diagnosis is infallible? Luke did. Many infallible proofs. We could consider a great message this morning just uh, thinking about all the things that Luke might have had in mind. The infallible proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But instead this morning we simply accept that statement as true. Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. We might consider the testimony of another highly educated man, a man named Saul who was a Jewish rabbi who hated the name of Jesus and killed his followers. And yet himself, an equally learned and educated man would say this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 9 when Paul wrote, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. I recently listened to a portion of a comedy routine where the the lady, the female comedian, was speculating about who killed Jesus. And she said, and I quote, I hope the Jews did kill Christ. I'd do it again in a second. The crowd she spoke to laughed and erupted in applause. Later, that lady would be asked to speak at the Democratic National Convention in 2016. I'm not going to tell you her name because if you go looking for her, do so at your own peril. Because I tell you, her, her routine was laced with profanity. I hope the Jews did kill Christ. I'd do it again. Many others have built on that and said the same thing in recent times. My response is simple. Jesus Christ is coming again. But no, they will not kill him again. The story of the return of Jesus Christ is told in a book. An ancient book known as the Apocalypse. We don't know it by that name. We know it by its English translation. It's the revelation. It's at the very end of the New Testament. If you ever wondered why he will be returning in wrath and in power and in judgment, all you have to do is look around at the world today. Hear statements like this. See the attitude that is building, the spirit that is building in our age against the truth of Jesus Christ. And you'll know why he has promised to come back in judgment the earth is in fact already experiencing what the Bible calls labor pains. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that the whole earth is travailing. Travailing like a woman and giving birth to a child. The whole earth is travailing in pain already. And so he pictures the earth then as as experiencing those labor pains but you know something about labor pains they start out small and they uh, happen very slowly but then they build in intensity and in strength and all around us in our world today we can see the intensity and strength of the earth's labor pains building up and it's going to give birth and what it's going to give birth to is the judgment of God We do not deny, we completely agree with anybody who would say that the climate is changing. I'd say amen, obviously. The only question is, who's changing it? And obviously, if man himself is changing the climate, then maybe man can fix it. Not sure they can, but if man changes it, maybe they can fix it. But if God is changing it, then only God can fix it. And since this was prophesied and promised and since the book of the apocalypse is full of references to the natural disasters, the things that will happen and the changes to the earth and climate and the earthquakes and the volcanic eruptions all over this book about what's happening and what's going to happen to the earth, then I come down on the side that the the maker of this earth is the one who controls this. That the one who says that he makes his sun, his sun to shine, he sends his rain on the just and the unjust, he is the one who controls the climate of this planet. He is the one then who is going to use it to bring judgment, and when his purposes have been accomplished, he'll be the one to fix it. In that sense, then, we strongly disagree. With uh, the ideas that are out there so prevalent in the world today. Is the climate changing? Of course it is. Do you see evidence of the earth giving, going through those writhing birth pains? Absolutely, you sure do. They're everywhere, all around us. So is Jesus coming again? Yes, but no, they won't kill him again. Jesus is coming again, but he's coming again in judgment. But that's not all. He's also coming to establish his reign of peace upon the earth. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus said I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You see Jesus not only showed himself alive. But he's still alive today. And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us something glorious about what he's doing. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. We like that word. I like it so well I'm going to say it again. Uttermost. I think I'll say it again. Uttermost. Save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing that he ever lives, ever lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is alive, showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, but he is still alive. And through the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit of God, he brings his life to every believer so that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. In this great passage we saw a few weeks ago, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. It is for this reason this morning, folk, that I can say. Because Jesus Christ showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And because he lives in you and in me. It is because of that then that I can say. It's a great day to be alive. Because Jesus is alive. I know when we look at our country and our nation, we see a lot of things that trouble us, a lot of uncertainty. We A lot of things we worry about, a lot of things we're concerned about. But I want to remind you today that Jesus Christ is alive. <laughs> He's alive. He lives in you. He lives in me. He is interceding for us, and His purposes are going to be accomplished. There are three simple questions, then, that I want to present to you this morning that are built upon this idea that it is a great day to be alive, that Jesus has shown himself alive, that he continues to live, and he lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Three simple questions. The first one is, are you alive? Are you alive? Now, some of you might say, no, bro- Brother Rich, I-, I-, I didn't think I looked all that good, but is it that bad? <laughs> no, 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 y'all look fine. In-, in fact, y'all look Easter fine. Amen? I tell you, y'all look fine. Uh, But there's a whole other way to be alive. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you he made alive. And there's a whole other way to be dead. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. One of the foundational truths of scripture is that God created man in his image And when He did, He created them male and female. Male and female created He them. That's in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 if you want to go and read it sometime. But by creating us in His image, God was telling us that He created us to be a physical being and a spiritual being and an intellectual being. And that these three are one. Unlike God, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit... Uh, Spirit, flesh, and intellect, unlike God though, uh, our sides, the various sides of our personality sometimes get opposed to one another. Uh, There are times when uh, uh, your your mind uh, might be saying, you know what, you've been putting on a few pounds, getting a little bit too heavy. Maybe you need to get up and walk some, but you know your body says, boy, this couch sure does feel good. Your mind says, stay away from that dessert. But your body says, ah, I've got to have some of that. And then some more. You see, our our parts get in opposition to each other. Our intellect, our mind says one thing, but our body says something else. And we just studied here in Galatians a few weeks ago about how the flesh lusts against the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. The desires of the spiritual side of us then goes against what the flesh says. So we are sometimes conflicted among ourselves. We live that out. We don't always do the things our mind tells us are right to do. We don't because we let our flesh get in the way. We certainly don't always do the things that the Spirit tells us to do. And that's us as believers. But listen to me: when you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Ephesians chapter two and verse one tells us that you're dead. What that means is you are spiritually dead to the things of God. Your spirit is dead. To the things of God. If we read on, and we won't take the time this morning, we would find out that we were that our spirit, and and when we're lost, when we don't know Jesus Christ is our Savior, our spirit is very much open to the things of darkness. He would go on to talk about how that that we walked in in the uh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature uh, the children of wrath. He would talk about how that we were going along a course. Uh, That is set by the principalities and powers of this earth. So though we were dead to the things of God. We're alive very much spiritually to the things of darkness. But then the power of the Holy Spirit goes to work. As he uses the gospel. The good news about the death, burial and resurrection. And through that he gives you spiritual life. It is that great spiritual truth that Jesus declared so long ago to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You read the story. Now, you may say, well, you know what? I've tried to read the Bible and I don't get much out of it. I understand that. You probably start like you do in any other book. You start in the book of Genesis and try to read all the way through it. You don't realize that the Bible is not just one book. It's 66 books. And uh, the one that's written for you as an unbeliever is the Gospel of John. It is written specifically with this specific intent that you may know then that Jesus is the Son of God and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. So it's written so that you can know who Jesus is and that you might believe on Him. And I challenge you today, if you're an unbeliever, read the Gospel of John. You're going to find out that it tells us some great, great truth. It tells us... That Jesus Christ is the word of God. That is, he is the expression of God Himself. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. How's that for an account of creation? Nothing was made without Him. Everything that is was made by Him. He came into His own. He plays out there in the great story of God's work of redemption and regeneration. Pay attention to all the people that he interacted with. There's great stories in the Gospel of John. Pay attention to all the miracles. John called them signs for a reason. Because they are the things that Jesus did. That demonstrated that he was not merely a man. That he is in fact what he claimed to be. The Son of God. It was John who said in him was life. And that this life is a light of man. It was John who said in John chapter 1. That it lights this light then. Lights every man that comes into the world. So that the birth of every baby is a testament. To the fact that there is a God. And though you are an unbeliever. Maybe in this service an unbeliever. Perhaps watching at home because somebody uh, got you to. Maybe out of some interest. Hey it's Easter. I'll see what it's all about. Maybe you don't remember or don't understand. Every time you see that miracle of birth happen, every time you see that baby born into the world, it stirs something in you. You can't deny it. You know it's there. Because it has put the power of Jesus Christ on display in Him. It's life. This great mystery and miracle of life comes straight from Jesus Christ. Have you received that message of life? If you have received Christ as your Savior, then you have that spiritual life. And so I am very justified this morning in asking you, are you alive? Are you alive? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you alive? Have you been born again? The second question then I ask uh, flows naturally from the first. How alive are you? How alive are you? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This was written by the Apostle Paul, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. So that when he talks about our salvation. And if you can answer the question. Yes I'm alive. I have experienced the new birth that Jesus talked about. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have received him as my savior. Therefore I am indeed spiritually alive. Then let's consider the question. How alive are you? God did not want us to just sit down in that state of infancy. Or to be just a little child. He wants us to go and grow. To move forward in our faith. So that we then learn what life is all about. It's amazing to see what people sometimes say is really living. They've got a dream about a certain house. A certain way they're going to live. They, They get the house in that they dreamed of. They get the truck they dreamed of. The car they dreamed of. The kids they dreamed of. The spouse they dreamed of. They make the money they dreamed of. And yet they look around and all those things they thought were really living. Man, if I get this, I'll really be able to live. That's really going to make me happy. Uh, then it leaves them just strapped for cash and working all the time and tired because they have to keep up with all that stuff and it breaks and the kids get mad and <laughs> don't ever say thank you. You know, <laughs> you, you know uh, that spouse she thought was going to be perfect. Guess what? He or she is not. None of them are. None of us are. So we get this idea though. Man, this is, this is what's going to get it. This is what's going to do it for me. If I get this then I'll have it. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ offers you a better life. A better life. You see, He said, again, in John chapter 10, John, He said, I am come that you might have life. So Jesus offers you life. But then He says, to have it more abundantly. Jesus offers you a better life. And as you learn of Him and grow in Him, you realize that uh, you're a part then of a community of believers. You're not just out there on your own, but that there you are. Uh, you're a believer in Christ and you're a part of God's great big family. And also then you become a part of a church. It's so crucial and so important as you make commitments in you surround yourself with other believers that we are growing together and encouraging one another and helping one another in our journey of faith. And we grow and we mature. Jesus gives us a better life. He gives us a life of freedom and identity. But then He gives us something better to live with. Because the Scriptures and the Spirit guide us and our brothers and sisters in Christ encourages us so that He not only then gives us a better life, But He gives us something better to live with in the power of the Spirit as we learn the Scriptures and and apply them to our life. Then He gives us also something better to live for. A better life, something better to live with, and something better to live for. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the death of Jesus Christ. And as we receive Him then as our Savior, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and rose again. It's possible to live a life that's all for me and all about me. That makes you a hard person to live with. And it makes you a miserable person. And if you continue on making life all about you and living life it's all for me and all about me, you're probably going to end up with just me all alone. That's how that plays out. But it all changes, you see, when we understand that we live for Jesus Christ. He doesn't put us off in a monastery somewhere and say, now now you're going to live for me and you'll be isolated and live a life of complete isolation. That's not what it does. We still go to work every day and we go to school and we enjoy life. But we're living then constantly for our Lord Jesus Christ and we live constantly giving Him thanks and praise for what He has done. The Bible says no good thing will he, that is God, withhold from him who walks uprightly. The Bible says he gives us richly all things to enjoy. And every one of us then as believers in Jesus Christ can give testimony that yes, yes, I am a believer in Christ. And that means that I'm alive. He's given me life. But he's also given me an abundant life. What does that mean? It means that he gives us something better to live with. And something better to live for. So that my life has purpose and meaning. And the Holy Spirit then is in me to accomplish what that purpose is. Are you alive? How alive are you? Now the last question is not in logical sequence. I saved it for last because it's what I wanted to end the message up with. If I would have put it in logical sequence, it would have been after the first. Are you alive? Then this one. How long will you stay alive? But I put it out of order for this specific purpose so that we could consider it. And hopefully those of you here and those of you watching from home can go away from this message with the thoughts I'm about to present echoing in your mind and heart. How long will you stay alive? The Bible tells us there's a time to be born a time to die. You can walk through any cemetery in this country and see those bookends put on multitudes of tombstones. Time to be born. Time to die. But it's not just that idea that I'm bringing up to you this morning when I ask you how long will you stay alive? Because you see, in John chapter 3, there's John again. John chapter 3, verse 16. Did I, do you remember? I said, read the gospel of John. Got questions about spiritual things? Wondering about Jesus? Don't know about whether you want to believe or not? Read the gospel of John. John chapter 3, and verse 16. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We read in our responsive readings just a few moments ago where Jesus said that whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. But you say, Brother Rich, I've been to a lot of Christian funerals. Believe you me, I have too. I've been a bunch of them. So how can you reconcile this idea of having everlasting life with the fact that believers die? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 8 gives us the answer. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see the promise of the scripture is that though this body may someday and it probably will someday that this heart will stop beating and it will wear out and and physically speaking I'll die. Remember we're a, a threefold being and this physical body is subject unto death. God said that all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 we saw that play out and he told them in the day that you eat thereof you'll surely die. Dying you shall die. And the whole creation then was made subject unto death. We live out our lives under that looming shadow. And perhaps we felt that icy hand on us just a little bit more as this pandemic has swept across this country and we were driven to such fear. We felt our mortality. We understand that life is fragile and that death is certain. So this question, how long will you stay alive, is a... is a very, very pertinent question for us. And I want us to understand that beyond then life and death, there's more. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. The Bible speaks of a place, a a time known as the second death. That is a time of eternal torment in a place called hell. But there is a promise also of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it's all wrapped up in that simple expression, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, when a believer in Christ comes to the end of this life and this body wears out and decays and they die, spiritually, that spirit goes on. Intellectually, that mind goes on. And it will one day be reunited with a new body, a glorious body in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How long will you stay alive? Well, through Jesus Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. And considering how frail this body is, the question of, am I ready for eternity? Have I received Jesus Christ as my Savior so I know that I'm Looking forward to that eternal life with God and with His people. Where am I facing that eternal death? And so we have two applications that we have throughout the message. There is, first of all, the application of that person maybe who's not received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I may be talking to some of you at home or some of you here in this building. The Bible declares of Jesus, in Him was life. In Him is life. This life is available to you today if you receive it. Again, Gospel of John. John said He came, that's Jesus, came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. You can do that right where you sit. Right where you are at home. You can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I have declared to you and we have sung to you. We have proclaimed it in every way that we can proclaim it. Even in our prayers that Jesus Christ died. That he was buried and he rose again. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And he is still alive today. And what that means is that right where you are you can say oh Lord I believe. I believe you died for me. I'm a sinner, and I believe you when you say, Lord, that you'll forgive me of my sins and give me everlasting life. I can't tell you this morning that if you'll do that, you'll you'll see some big shining light or that some great revelation will happen, but I can tell you that you will sense something in you that you've never sensed before. And what you'll be sensing is that spiritual life. Where before your spirit's been dead to the things of God. Alive only to the things of darkness. Suddenly you'll feel that spiritual life come alive in you. You'll feel a peace you've never felt before. You'll feel a sense of forgiveness. Where right now you're feeling that trouble and that burden. That's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit telling you you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior after. After you do. You'll enjoy that sense of sins forgiven. And the awareness that comes from knowing you have everlasting life. That is the application then to unbelievers. But there's also an application here to believers. I'm here to remind you today, folk, it's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive. Now the great theologian Travis Tritt concluded that he had some rice cooking in the microwave and a three-day beard he didn't have to shave and therefore it was a great day to be alive but I want you to know as a believer in Jesus Christ we've got a whole lot more than that amen I mean, God has done so much for us. Jesus Christ has given us life. We know that He lives and He ever lives to make intercession for us. We know that everything in this world is moving toward a purpose that Jesus Christ has established and that He is going to come and He is going to accomplish those purposes. We know that we are His children. We know that He is going to take us to Him. It is a great day to be alive. Now, I know that there's some bad times in the neighborhood. And if you don't remember that line, you need to go back and listen to that song again. I I know there's some bad times in in the neighborhood. But it's time for us as God's people to realize, folks, this is the only time we have. If you're a golfer today, then you'll understand this term. God's not going to give us a mully on life. And a mully is a do-over for those of you who aren't golfers. You hit a shot you don't like, well, I get a mully. I just get a do-over. It's not like you're going to get to be 60 years old, say, I've made a complete mess of my life. So, God, I'd just appreciate it if you'd turn me back and let me be 21 again. Nobody wants to be a teenager again. Let me be 21 again and do this all over. It ain't going to happen, folk. mm you don't get a do-over. This is your life in this world. And you only get that one time. This is the world, folk, that we live in. This is the life that we have to live. A lot of bad stuff going on. We can spend this precious time that we have complaining and griping and fussing because the world's in such a mess. And it isn't a mess. Or we can decide, hey, this is a great day to be alive. Because I've got a world full of people out there that need Jesus Christ in their life. And I get to be the one who shows them what Jesus Christ can do if you'll give your life to Him. It's a great day to be alive. It's not wasted. It's a precious day to be alive. Let's let's not let it slip away. Let's not use it on improper things or things that don't help. Let's live for the one who died and lived again. Let's stand together, please.